Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Michael. Hey, Michael. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Michael, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Michael. And, uh, I'm assuming that you can't take the mask off when you're at the podium, right? Darn it. I was going to say it. Anyway, um, I am glad to be here, and I'm glad that uh, uh, Andrea asked me to come, and she phoned me. You know, she's a good lady. I don't know if you know Andrea. I think a long time ago, I sponsored her in OA, and I don't sponsor ladies anymore, not, be- not because of her, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I just, uh, you know, it's just a good idea for me. I mean, there's certain things that I wouldn't, if I had a female sponsor, I couldn't, I wouldn't feel comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, talking to a female about it, so I, I maybe assume it's the same, but anyway, when we, our relationship ended, she had the courtesy to call and to say, thank you, Michael. You know, I really appreciate your help, and it meant so much to me. And those of you who have been around a while, uh, sponsees don't always end relationships that way. Uh, you know, they just, uh, you never see him again, and you never hear from him. And I, I just like that. And I have this character defect that, that if people don't do it my way, they're doing it wrong. And, uh, and I judge them, and I get resentful and all that good stuff. I am... Um, this is my second abstinence. I hope it's my last. But uh, in my first abstinence, I had a sponsor that really, really helped me. And uh, Ben, welcome, by the way. It's good to have you here. It's good to hear you. And um, Alex, uh, happy, happy. <laughs> and Lori, happy birthday. Um, um, so anyway, uh, and when I, I was on my eighth and ninth step the second time around, after I did the fourth step and suffered miserably, no, it wasn't that bad, um, I, uh, I went to that sponsor and I said, you know what, you really helped me a lot and I, I just never called you again and I'm so sorry. And the sponsor said, are you kidding me? He says, no, no amends necessary. But it made me feel good, you know, to be a mensch, you know, to be a, a good person which is what I think, I hope we're all striving to be, be the best us that we can be and get closer to a higher power and get us out of our self-centered fear, which I don't know about you, but I I was born with, you know what I mean? And um, so I came to you the first time uh, in the early 80s. I had gotten clean and sober and uh, through Alcoholics Anonymous, and, uh, and I had a three-pack-a-day cigarette addiction, and I couldn't stop smoking, and I, and I started talking about it in AA, and the old-timers told me that AA was not an appropriate place to talk about my nicotine addiction, and all they cared about was my drinking and using, and if I was sober, I should be grateful, and uh, I was grateful, but I was dying, <laughs> you know, I was uncomfortable, and... Um, 
And I got really offended because I thought that you could say anything that you wanted to from the podium. And, and uh, I didn't understand the traditions. And the traditions are, in this meeting, I talk about my food addiction. But I can't talk about my food addiction until I tell you how I got here. So I got here through the back doors of Alcoholics Anonymous, three pack-a-day cigarette habit. Somebody put his arm around me in AA and said, Michael, why don't you go to Nicotine Anonymous? You know, those people have your addiction. And, and, and I went. And uh, there was a guy, Red Sea, may he rest in peace. He wore red suspenders. And if you guys remember the name, uh, Burl Ives, he was an old time actor, and he looked like Burl Ives, and he talked like this. And he said, Michael, he says, why don't you ask God for the willingness to be willing to, to give up the cigarettes? And I thought, this guy's nuts. But, but I respected him because he had like 40-some-odd years. And, and so I, I just did it. I asked for the willingness to be willing. I didn't know, in retrospect, that I can ask God all day for the willingness to be willing. But I have to take a little bit of action. I remember I used to get up and, uh, and ask God for the willingness to be willing to go to work. And then I'd go back to sleep. And, and then I'd wake up, and I guess, I guess it wasn't your will, God, that I'd go back to work. But uh, you had to take a little bit of action. And then, again, in retrospect, so I asked for the willingness to be willing, and then this opportunity to go to, to Nicotine Anonymous appeared, and I showed up at the meeting. And that was the little bit of footwork I did. And uh, one guy... Uh, talked to me for an hour about what he used to be like, what happened, and what he's like now and the, without the cigarette addiction. He says, I'll see you next week. And, uh, and I came back. And it, 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 it was a long time ago, but I think it took me about six weeks. And the three-pack-a-day cigarette addiction was removed. And, um, and the guy uh, nominated me secretary of that meeting. <laughs> and many times I'd show up uh, with a big book and nobody would be there. But I had the willingness to be willing to show up and to do what it took to get that to keep that cigarette addiction gone. Um, so the only problem with that is I gained thirty pounds in thirty days, and um, and I uh, it was not the first time I was compulsively eating. But it was the first time I was clean and sober, and I was aware of what was going on. And so you know I'm kind of a slow learner. I went back to my AA meeting. And I started complaining about pizza and Haagen-Dazs and all the foods that I was eating to anesthetize myself from my feelings. And again, the, you know, they just kind of rolled their eyes and they said, you know, my AA, remember, drugs, alcohol. I, I understand. You can't kick me out of here. And, uh, and I knew about Overeaters Anonymous. And I came to you guys, and I, I probably sat in the back. I don't remember. Probably looked like Roy over there. <laughs> I don't take it personal, but you know. Um, so, um, so anyway, I sat in the back, and I and I heard that you guys you ate three meals a day, and a lot of you didn't eat anything in between. No recreational sugar. A lot of you didn't eat bread, flour, whatever, and. Um, and I said, well, I think I can do that, but I couldn't. And because uh, I don't know, I get hungry after a meeting, especially a good meeting. <laughs> and uh, so I got kind of hungry and I started putting on more and more weight. And after about a year, I raised my hand. I said, my name is Michael. I'm a compulsive reader and I need help. I don't know how to do this. And uh, there was a willingness to be willing to admit 
that I, I had a problem. And uh, and Matt Masterman, he's dead. May rest in peace. It says on the thing, don't say their last name. Sorry, he's dead. But uh, he was a hundred pounder, over a hundred pounder, and he knew the big book back and forth. And he gave me his number. He was very gentle. He was very nurturing. He says, why don't you call me tomorrow, and uh, we'll discuss what what you're going to eat. And I said, well, I don't know what I'm going to eat. And, and, and I called him, and he says, well, why don't you call me at night and tell me what you did eat? And so I have no idea what I ate, but I can guarantee you it wasn't what I was eating, you know. I don't think because I was my ego was involved, I need to be accountable to him. And uh, and so I started to do that on a consistent basis. And Matt uh, quoted the big book, and you know he was pretty popular in OA in those days. And he was a good good speaker, and I trusted him. And I guess he was my first sponsor. And um, and the weight came off, and um, and I started to do what you guys are doing. Um, what happened was, um, and you know what I call that? I call that taking a fifth step with my food. Admit to God, to myself, and another human being the exact nature, and I'm not perfect, but the exact nature of what goes in my body within a 24-hour period. And for a while now, that's held me in good stead. Um, and I still do that today. Um, I was, I, I'm going all over the place, but this is where my head is tonight. I, I sponsor a guy in, in, in the AA program who, um, who's got like 48 years clean and sober. And uh, he's got an AA sponsor, he's got an Al-Anon sponsor, but he calls me on a daily basis, and he's been doing that for 11 years, which I've been doing to my sponsor for consistently for over 20 years now. And um, and we were arguing about something, you know, because I know what's best for him, of course. And... Um, and, and I said, yeah, you got your AA sponsor to do this. And you, I said, nobody knows you better than me. And he says, well, what? I said, well, I talk to you on a daily basis. And just like I talk to my OA sponsor on a daily basis, my OA sponsor knows me better than my AA sponsor. And even though my primary addiction, only because it's going to kill me really, really fast if I go out there, I was compulsively overeating before I think I was drinking and using compulsively. But I, I came to you guys through the, the AA program, and my OA sponsor knows me on a daily basis. I, 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 I F with his serenity on a daily basis at a, at a certain time of the day, and I do an inventory, and I tell him what my food is, and he knows me. So anyway, I was arguing with this guy, and uh, the units for me are not transferable. If I could have gotten abstinent through Alcoholics Anonymous, I, 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 I would be there now. I wouldn't be talking to you tonight. And there are many people in my in AA that say, um, you know, AA is all you need. What do you need all these other programs for? And that I question myself and I question my higher power. And, you know, maybe I'm weak and maybe I shouldn't need all these other. And what am I doing wrong? But I come to you and I listen to you and I identify with you and I call my OA sponsor and we pray and we meditate. I sponsor guys in OA and, and I assure you, <laughs> for this moment in reality, I'm a, I'm a compulsive reader and I'm glad that I'm here. It's a real blessing. Um, so I told you that this wasn't my first time uh, around or this, you know, this isn't my first abstinence. What had happened was... Um, I have a, uh, a mom, I have schizophrenia, I have a mental illness in my family, 
Yeah, my mom, in the early 50s, after she had me, she developed a postpartum uh, depression, which is kind of normal, I think, for a lot of women. But hers developed into postpartum psychosis, and then she was diagnosed as being schizophrenic. And she was suicidal, and she had uh, a lot of shock treatments. She had a lobotomy in the early 50s. They cut that part of your brain off that they thought was diseased. And and um, so she was not a happy camper, and she ended up dying in uh, her early 40s um, uh, in a Camarillo State Hospital, um, going to get a pack of cigarettes, ironically. And um, so, um, so I thought that maybe when I didn't want to get up and go to work in the morning that I might have a chemical imbalance like my mother. Uh, this was, I was maybe in my 30s, my mid-30s, my early 30s, and so I thought that I should start maybe going to therapy and check it out. And I'd call my sponsor, and my sponsor would say, you know, just go to work, and if you want to quit your job, and get a, get another job before you quit. You know that's the logical thing to do. And again, so I show up to work and everything. And so I got involved in group therapy in the early '80s um, uh, to carry a teddy bear around. You know, and to hug the teddy bear was real fashionable. It was real popular in OA in those days too. I could get a lot of attention. And um, so. Uh, it, uh, it it worked for a while, but then I don't know how, I don't remember, I ended up like with three therapists. I had the group therapy, I had a psychiatrist, and I had a psychologist or something going on. And the group therapist, I tried to get to prescribe these antidepressants for me, and I said I might be schizophrenic, and she said, you're not. She said, you're way past the age that it happens. I know you well. I don't think so. And I stopped going to you guys. I stopped going to meetings. I didn't have any commitments at meetings. I didn't. I call my sponsor sporadically at, at best. And um, so after about eight months of pulling away, very very slowly, very incrementally. If you, if you had, uh, you know what it's like. If you, you it's very subtle. And um, and so uh, I finally got this psychiatrist to. Uh, to prescribe some stuff for me, not telling anybody in program about it. And because the psychiatrist said, Michael, you've, you've tried program for how long and it's not working for you, so why don't you try this? And that made sense to me. But I wasn't doing the program. I had pulled away almost totally from the program. And of course, if you don't work it, it doesn't work. So, um, it's so, it's so ironic because I started popping pills and, uh, and, and I was taking them alcoholically. And I didn't tell anybody about it. And, uh, and I wanted more and more and more. And, um, and I think it was in this venue, it was downstairs, that Dr. Paul was speaking. And I hadn't been to an AA meeting in a long time. Dr. Paul, if, you, if you're into the big book, I think it's called On Acceptance. And it says acceptance is the answer to all of our problems. Resonates with me terrifically. And I knew he was speaking, and I came and I heard him here. And he said something that kind of changed my whole trajectory. He says, never in my 20-some-odd years of sobriety have I had a problem to which the 12 steps didn't offer me a solution. And I was so far away from the 12 steps, and I knew it rang true for me. And uh, I was too afraid to ask for his number, but his wife, Max, was sitting in the front row. And I asked Max, can I have you know your husband's number? And I started to call him. 
and he started to bring me back into the program. And after talking to him for consistently for just a couple of weeks, um, I quit all my psychiatrists. And I made a commitment. I, t- I was willing to be willing to come back to the program because life gets really scary um, when you when I'm not working a program and I get real resentful and I get real sensitive and I get I, I can't live. I can't. I'm not. I'm not a person that you want to live with, <laughs> and and I can't live with myself. So Paul took on my case, and to make a long story short, um, I. Uh, was going to work the steps with him and I took it was in the middle of a fourth step and I did something uh, that Paul didn't approve of I stayed home from work and he said you know Michael part of you wants to recover and part of you doesn't he says I'm going to leave you alone with yourself don't call me for a while and I thought well that's pretty mean you know and um, and so um, I found Richie Richie was a hundred pounder in this program, and he talked like this from New York. And uh, and I finished my fourth step, and I remember calling Paul a couple months later, and I said, Paul, I'm ready to take my fourth step. And he says, oh, that's going to be a great way to start uh, the new year. And then he leaves a message on my machine, and he says, Michael, he says, you know, the fifth step is supposed to be a spiritual experience. He says, and I judge you. I think you should be farther along than you are. And uh, I, it, it would be a disservice to you if I listened to your fifth step. And I thought, oh my God, because I like celebrities. And Paul was in the, in the big book. I wanted him to hear my fourth. And he saved my life, you know, to tell you the truth. And I called him and I said, Paul, could you ask God to remove that character <laughs> so that you could listen? And he laughed and he said, he said you know, it has been removed, but yeah, I'll ask, I'll ask. So, Richie, may he rest in peace. All these people are dead, you know what I mean? I went to a service today uh, for somebody who died, uh, and um, and they mentioned that uh, something to the effect that he's at peace, and we're all coming home to God, you know, and we're here to get that connection to God. So, um, so anyway, I feel that Richie and Paul and even the people that I resented in my family that I blamed for my disease are, are somewhere um, rooting me on. I really feel strongly. I can't prove it, but it makes me feel good. You know, it, gives, it strengthens my connection to a higher power. So Richie said, uh, you know, it took me uh, three days to read my uh, inventory to somebody. He says, so, you know, if that guy had to suffer, I'll listen to you and suffer for three days. And so we did it. We sat down, and it took us three days. <laughs> and we, we stopped for lunch, of course. We went out got a good lunch after, you know, this stuff. But by the second or third day, I was bored, you know, because it was the same Michigas, the same stuff, different people, different situations, and I was just so glad to be rid of it and to give it to Rich that uh, that it was beautiful, and you know, then Richie started taking the, my phone calls on a daily basis, except he wouldn't take them on the weekends. He'd say, Michael, give me a reprieve. <laughs> <laughs> Call somebody else, and so Carl, God bless him, who moved to Florida, uh, would take my calls uh, on weekends, and I was just starting to become a teacher in those days. I was like 21, 26 years ago uh, that I got my credentials to teach. Um, we're talking somebody that um, 
that didn't have a full-time job until I was 43 years old. <laughs> I liked uh, people to take care of me. And, uh, and I would work full time, uh, part-time because, um, because I didn't want to commit. And, um, and in those days, I said I was an actor and uh, I needed to be available for auditions. And uh, so I leave at noon and I go to the beach to work on my tan. Mm-hmm. I never go to auditions. But the beach, you could work on. You can. It's kind of nice to go to the beach, and uh, I was too afraid to go on auditions and stuff. So, um, so when I was 43, I, I was involved in the program, and, and uh, uh, a sponsor suggested that I go talk to a counselor and uh, make a long story short. I've been teaching now for 26 years, and um, so uh, so I would call Carl. And I'd be at the library, the Beverly Hills Library, because I had three kids running around the house, and I just couldn't do lesson plans. And many times I'd be at the library, and you know the way our heads are, and I'd just be so unfocused. And I'd call Carl before I ate my lunch, and I'd tell him um, the exact nature of what I was going to eat. And sometimes he wouldn't be there. And one of the things that he said to me, he says, Michael, you don't have to just tell me your food. You can tell me what's going on on my machine. Leave it on my machine. I thought that was so magnanimous. That was so generous of him. And the more I did that, the less hungry I got and the less food that I would eat before I would call in my my lunch to him. And um, so uh, Carl was Richie's reprieve on the weekends when I was forming my lesson plans and, and so on and so forth. So then Richie finds somebody in program and uh, who's wealthy. Richie was, was an actor, a working actor, and uh, he moves away. He goes to South Carolina, and he gets married. And um, so, like, I cling on to sponsors. I don't know about you, but getting a new sponsor is, is scary, and especially when you know somebody. You don't want to develop and have to work at that trust thing. So Richie finally says, uh, Michael, uh, uh, why don't you get somebody who's local? And I said, well... I mean, you're only a phone call. He says, get somebody who's local. So uh, I said, well, is Terrell, is, would you approve it? And he says, yeah, Terrell's a good guy. You can get Terrell. So, so poor Terrell, I F with his serenity on a daily basis. Um, he's in Mexico now. He's semi-retired. And uh, he hasn't given me the boot yet because he's here in West Hollywood for half the year and he's in, in Mexico for the other half. I talked to him uh, uh, this morning, and uh, I, we read literature together, and um, and I always ask him for a mantra, you know, after he hears my inventory, I put it in my phone, and I usually forget it two, two minutes afterwards, but I put it in the phone just in case, and, and when I'm going to work, um, I have guys that call me, and we call it the party line, and between 7 and 7.30, um, we're re- well, I'm not reading because unless I'm on vacation. And teachers, by the way, have a S load of vacation. It's a <laughs> wonderful profession. Uh, you, you work your butt off, but you know you get you get vacation. One of the things that, and I'm going to commit this from the podium today, that makes me I want to be <laughs> doing this for 26 years. And my ideal is to do all my work. Um, during the week so I can enjoy the weekends and I don't have any. Well, haven't got it right yet. It's been 26 years. Occasionally I get it right. So my little commitment, my willingness to be willing tonight is to Monday's lessons, not this Monday, but a week from Monday because we get a week vacation, is to just set my timer for a half an hour 
and sit my, by my computer and do a half hour of lesson planning. Um, but before I'll say the third step prayer, Dr. Paul used to love to write. And he would say that he would say the um, third step prayer and he'd sit by the computer for a couple of hours and many times it would flow and many times he'd just sit there like a zombie. And he said if he really said the third step prayer, then that was God's will, you know, that he just sit by the computer and nothing is supposed to come out. Um, I know I'm all over the place, but I'm thinking about meditation now. And that's our 11th step. And, uh, you know, it's very fashionable now to be uh, in the present moment, well, to be mindful and to accept anything that goes your way, even if you're feeling horrible, you know, um, just to accept it. And I don't know about you, I don't like to feel horrible. (laughs) And I resist it and I fight it and I anesthetize myself with food behind it. But, um, But there's the serenity prayer. Paul's version of the serenity prayer was, God, grant me the serenity to calmly accept the things I cannot change. When I need the serenity prayer, I am not calm. And I can't calm myself, so I ask the higher power to help calm me down. Uh, Courage to change my attitude and my actions, okay? My attitude is when I'm not serene, I've got a horrible attitude, I can't see things clearly. And my actions usually are um, inappropriate. And, uh, and then I'm thinking also about my intentions. I said the serenity prayer before I came here. I was a little nervous to speak tonight. Um, so if my intention is to help another compulsive overeater instead of look good and, um, and uh, take things personal, uh, um, then I'm okay, but I got I ask my higher power for that. I ask my higher power, and then the and then the wisdom, Paul said to enjoy the ride. So if I'm up here and I'm kind of enjoying this a little bit now, or a um, more than I was in the beginning, then uh, my higher power is with me. I got a hug from your mom, Kiko, today, because we were at the same service, and uh, that was kind of nice. There's many people in this room that I'm connected to. And, uh, and it feels good um, to be a part of that. And it feels good to be a part of that in person, you know. Um, the Zoom thing is good. Uh, it's not good for lazy people like me because uh, I like to watch TV. And I like to eat while I'm watching TV. And I like to look at my phone if the speaker is boring. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just... It's just better. It's it's almost even going to the movies. I don't know if you guys have gone to the movies since COVID. You know, you can watch a movie at home, which is kind of cool. But to experience, especially a good movie, and know that are there, even though they're strangers, you know, there's something about the communal. It's almost like a religious type experience. A good movie <laughs> and stuff. So. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking me. Good. Is this where I could just uh, open it up for questions? Um, yeah. I mean, I've been doing this for 31 years, and a lot of life has happened. So uh, I, 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 I'm very scattered right now. So maybe if you ask me some questions, I can focus on, on a specific experience that I've had that might be able to help you. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I'm currently doing a four step. 
Okay, well, the, the, oh yes, so uh, she's currently doing a four-step, and she wanted to know what my definition of a resentment was, and uh, what I would recommend, or how I did the fourth step. Um, um, the four columns in the big book is how I did it. I was guided by a little thing that Dr. Paul gave me that's available, that kind of just focuses in on the on the on the columns of the big book. And I had a sponsor guide me through it as well. Um, definition of a resentment is something that I, I go down the rabbit hole on. Um, it happened yesterday, uh, <laughs> and I shared about it, and it doesn't have any power anymore, I hope. I went to Starbucks. Somebody told me, teachers got to get COVID tested once a week. So while I'm COVID testing, the girl said, oh, have you been to Starbucks today? If you get a holiday drink, uh, you get a free cup, a free cup. And I said, oh, i got to go, because I love Starbucks. And I went, and so I ordered the holiday, the holiday. I said, by the way, do you have a sugar-free holiday drink? And she said, no. I said, well, can you put some, make it sugar-free? She said, no. I said, well, how do I get the free cup? She said, you don't. <laughs> There's a resentment. A resentment. So, you know, kind of laugh about it, but I can really get pissed off about it. I take it personal. Um, so, yeah, um, Writing it all out, you know, and you know, the easiest thing in the fourth step with me was just to write the people, the places, and things down. I didn't have to think about why. And, I, and, and it was easy because once I started, it just flowed out, and I really didn't like a lot of people, places, and things and stuff. And then, um, and then to, to figure out why, you know, I got all verbose and I just rather than. And then eventually what happened was by the time, I just got so exhausted by the time I got to that last column to see my part, I was a little bit more willing to see what part I had in it. And then if I didn't, my sponsor helped me through it. So I hope that helps you. Good luck with it. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Michael. Um, you talked about... Um, previously only working part-time and then becoming, um, you know, in, uh, building your career right. uh, in recovery. And I was wondering, um, what part of your recovery path did that happen that you found what you wanted to do and then what did that process look like of, of building that? What did, uh, what did the process look like of me finding and building a career in recovery? Um, it looked like willingness to be willing to do the next indicated thing, even though I didn't know what the next indicated thing was. I was in my sponsor's office, and I made the mistake of telling him that I was went to the student teaching 17 years prior. And in those days, I thought I was an actor. And he said, well, why don't you go back and talk to a counselor? And I said, well, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to be an actor. I'm an actor. And he said, well, that's it doesn't matter. He said, the spiritual principle is it doesn't matter whether you're a teacher, an actor, a dentist. He says, going back and completing something that was incomplete, can you talk to a counselor? And I said, well, I can do that. 
I talked to this counselor. I remember he was crazy. This was 27 years ago. And I was a liberal studies major, and I don't think they had that major anymore. And he couldn't find my records. But he was obsessed with finding my records 17 years prior. And, I, and it took him for And he found the records. And when he found the records, it turned out that I only needed like one or two classes to get a, a credential. And so can I take one or two classes? One, I took the first class. And, and I got an A because I didn't cheat and I actually studied, you know. And then I took the second class and I found myself student teaching and I found myself in a room. We would go volunteer to a second grade classroom of kids that had wheelchairs and walkers, cerebral palsy, muscular dystrophy. My heart melted. I loved those kids. And the teachers saw that I had an affinity for working with those kids. And when I went on my first interview, there was that class that was available. And the teacher said, well, let, can I see your resume, the principal who interviewed me? And I said, I don't have a resume. I said, but I, what I have is a book that the kids that I student taught, and this is my resume. Mr. Blanc, we love you. You're the best teacher. And they wrote me pictures and love notes and stuff. And that was my resume. And I got the job. And I was in that class for 11 years uh, working with those kids. And this is a guy that don't want to get out of bed, that didn't want a job for 43 years. And those parents trusted me with their love, their, their kids that were diseased and dying and everything. And I loved those kids. I didn't even know that they had a sickness after, because I loved them so much. So that was how I started my career. And then the theater, now I'm teaching theater arts <laughs> to elementary school. I see 600 kids a, a week. I'm at a different school every day. And I'm a big man on campus. So, and it gives me much more gratification than, you know, the millions of actors that are, you know, wait, wait, or whatever. But that's how I found my career. It, just by doing the next indicated thing and, and checking in with a sponsor. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. So I wish you uh, luck on your journey. Not luck, it's a blessing. Stay close to program. Yes. Hey, uh, thank you. Uh, I may have missed it, um, but you talked about this being your second abstinence. I was just wondering, could you talk a little bit about what your abstinence is today? How did you get to that point? How did it change? Yeah, it's basically three meals a day. And it's basically fruits and vegetables and, you know, protein. I try to avoid red meats, although the red meats can sneak up on me. It's take, oh, what my abstinence is today was the question and how it's evolved. Um, it's taking, it's very much uh, 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 taking a fifth step with my sponsor on a daily basis and admitting the exact nature of my food, good, bad, or indifferent. And when I see what's going on, I ask God for help and I get back on track. Um, yeah, well, Richie, uh, <laughs> I had, uh, it must have been about maybe eight years, I, my cholesterol went up like 100 points and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And I was eating a lot of In-N-Out burgers at the time, but protein style, you know, because I wouldn't have the buns. So, of course, that's healthy. And I must have been doing it three or four times a, a week. And my cholesterol shot up. So uh, Richie said, you know, uh, you, maybe you might want to stop eating the red meat for a while. And... Um, and turn me onto this thing that has uh, accountability and, and you weigh yourself every couple of weeks and stuff. And, and I got back on track with that and the cholesterol went down back to normal and everything. So that taking the fifth step with my food is really, really paramount. So, yeah.
I had a rough time with my food tonight, man. The the guy that uh, that died was a Dodger fan, right? And they had a reception right afterwards. Unlimited Dodger dogs, you know. And I said, well, I'm going to speak at an OA meeting, but my ego, of course. But but then I looked at the accountability, so I got a Cobb salad, you know, and some a bowl of soup and stuff. And I I don't know about you, they have cheese toast at this restaurant that is really really good. And I I chose not to eat it, but I didn't want to throw it away, so it's in the to-go bag so that my wife and my kids could have the cheese stuff. I feel better if they eat it. You know what I mean? It's hard for me to throw it away. Uh, or Is that all right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's your hand. Like, uh, have you ever been in moments in, in your recovery where it's just like, like you're just jumping off a cliff like, what, what am I supposed to do now? Like, Yeah. And, 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 I mean, you have the history of God stepping in, but like still having like making this massive doubt. Like, I hope this thing works. Yeah, it's, it's a, so. Or a, the person wants to know if I ever have uh, massive doubts and and just don't know what to do next, and I feel like maybe for me it's maybe God has abandoned me, and uh, I'm just so scared. And I just want to remind you that I think I saw you on a Zoom meeting last week, and I thought. God, that guy's got it together. You know, how, what's he doing? I want what he has. So, yeah, already I do have moments like that. And, uh, and my sponsor claims he's an atheist. You know what I mean? And he brings me back to God. And, you know, I don't know what he calls himself, but he says his God is patience, tolerance, kindness, love, whatever you want to call yourself. So I don't like those times. Um, and uh, I just kind of breathe through. And the main thing, see, I don't know when I'm going through that, already that they pass. I really don't, because my fear and my diseases tell me it's never going to pass. And then when they pass, I go, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, what am I, well, I going to remember that this too shall pass, you know, when I, when I get through it? But, uh, but, you know, I think it's part of it, my human condition. It's not necessarily the disease, although the disease will take me out when I feel that way. But uh, one of my sponsors said to me once, kid, we can't always feel wonderful, but we can act civilly. We can act civilly. So. Lucy. How do you keep your program fresh, Michael? <laughs> well, how do I keep my programs fresh? I go to a, a long-ass Wednesday night meeting, and uh, we were on Zoom last Wednesday night. And the speaker uh, I didn't particularly care for, and uh, and I was I fell asleep, and uh, a sponsee of mine took a picture of me. No. <laughs> and um, is that like an amber alert or something? So anyway, and I thought, and you know, my head will tell me already that you know. You know, I've been doing this so long. I'm re- I'm going to leave the program now because the meeting was just stale for me. I didn't I didn't have the enthusiasm and stuff. So this sponsee that took a picture of me spoke at uh, Brent spoke here on Thursday night, and uh, and then somebody texted me in a way. Hey, do you sponsor so and so? He gave you some juice from the podium. You know? <laughs> And, uh, and I said, yeah, I do. And then I called him and I said, you know, you uh, you didn't give me enough juice. 
because because this person wanted to know if I was the one. You should at least carry a picture of me or something like that. Just kibbutz and stuff. And he says, uh, anyway. So it's it, you've got to have a sense of humor, and God keeps me in the program. And it's all it's all a higher power. So thank you for letting me share.